You're listening to Second Breaks, the show where we talk about feeling better, doing better, and being better in midlife and beyond. I'm Lou Blazer. Hello, hello, my friend. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Second Breaks. We are continuing with our series on unretirement, and this episode from The Vault was a very interesting and thought-provoking conversation I had with Damien Lupo back in episode 60. Good Lord, long time ago. (laughs) But as you will hear, it is even more relevant and more important than ever. Damien is a best-selling author in personal finance and money thinking, and he is the host of the Financial Underdogs podcast. He has founded his own martial art, Yokido, and he's been in business for a long time. He's uh, created companies, built companies. You can, I guess you can call him a serial entrepreneur, although I don't think he uses that phrase, but I'll use that phrase. Um, if there was one thing I remember about that conversation with Damien, it was that he explained to me why he hated the word retirement. And as I revisit this episode now in the context of the Unretirement series, I see how What he said to me, it's even more relevant than ever, and his points even more urgent for us midlifers to consider. In this episode, Damien and I talked about the problem with the traditional retirement mindset, what wealth is and isn't, and the idea of booking it, or in other words, how not to postpone doing things until someday when we retire. Okie dokie, let me step out of the way, here you go. Enjoy. So, Damon, I was in corporate America for a really long time, and I don't think that it matters how old or how young you are, but I think there's always this thing that you sort of kind of look forward to, right? I, I don't know if it's a carrot or a sword that's hanging over your head, but it's this thing called retirement. I read somewhere that you hate the word. Why do you hate the word? What's wrong with it? Because the word retirement is a death sentence. I mean, it's that simple. The average male in the United States dies three years after he retires. I don't know what the number is for for women, but think about that. You say, I'm done. It's the golden years. I've worked all this time, these 30, 40 years, and then I'm going to die in three years. We don't say that, but that's what happens. And it's because once we quit, we quit contributing. The universe says, hey, if you're going to consume resources and you're not actually contributing anything, you're taking up space, you're done. And it it pulls the plug. I mean, it's like the Matrix. You, the, the, the plug is pulled on you and you're out of there. And it's a stupid idea anyway. It was really set up years ago, 100 years ago, in the industrial and agricultural age when either the farm animal was too old and you took it out in the back and you shot the thing or you buried the equipment that wore out. Well, we are not animals and we're not <laughs> equipment. Like we are human beings and there's this idea that we're supposed to actually live after we're done contributing. That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. So it's really about meshing those together and living full on our entire lives and throwing this idea of retirement out. If you hate what you're doing and you're waiting for that thing to happen down the road to live, go do something else. It's not worth it. Life is short. You know, it's so funny that you said that because the moment you said that, the you know, it's something about 
three years after retirement. That's happened to a very good friend of mine where his father passed away within, I think within three years, within four years of retirement. And he was so upset because his dad never got the chance to enjoy, you know, the retirement. That all the, right. the years that he was um, saving, saving, saving for, you know, to do all the beautiful things that he was supposed to do after work. But is there actually, is there a scientific reason for that? Is it just because we stop working? What was the... Yeah, there, there, there really is. When, when we don't have an engagement in our mind, when there's not an intellectual engagement, we basically start shutting down. Like there's just, there's just no stimulation. Our, physiologically, we stop. And we, I mean, this is, this is what happens. You see people, I was with George Ross recently. He was, he was President Trump's attorney for like 40 years. And he's in his 90s and the guy was was wearing all of us out in our 30s and 40s because and he was just so intellectually stimulated and really engaged and i I thought this is fascinating why is that because he has something to think about and do that matters instead of waiting to live waiting to do our lives i really feel like it's time to do that now like and one of the strategies is booking it it's it's a simple thing but whatever it is in your life if you've got a vision for when you're 60 years old you know what book that in the next 60 days for this year to start doing that thing. And, and really the, the, the work that we do, I think it has to, we have to find something that's bigger than ourselves because if we're just working for money, we're basically whores. And I don't think we're here to be a bunch of whores. I think that's not why we're here. And it's, it's putting us to sleep as, as a people. And that's, that's not, I mean, zombies is not our, our mission in life. For the person who's listening, who's going, but Damon, I want to like I don't want to work for the rest of my life. What do you mean I can't retire? Is that what you're saying? Is that I can't retire because I don't want to work for the rest of my life? Well, the question is, do you want to do you want to do something that matters? And what people tend to think of in terms of retirement is getting out of something. And instead of saying, okay, what do I really love to do? Because if you if you figure out what you actually love to do, and this is not like woo woo, hey, do what you love and the money will follow. This is really finding the thing that drives you to where you disconnect from. I've got to make more money per hour, kind of nonsense. But like, figure out that that thing that you're going to fall in love with, that you're going to want to do. Like, I wake up at three o'clock in the morning and I can't rate, wait to read tax code. That sounds crazy. I know you're listening, going, wait, what? This guy's nuts. But it's because it's it feeds my ability to serve the people that are part of my mission, and I get excited about that. So I'm not thinking about how can I quit. I'm not thinking, if I just create another million dollars, I can stop doing this thing. If you gave me a million dollars, I would go hire more people to do more of my mission. I, I it's it, There's a disconnect. So the re- idea of retirement is quitting. It's getting out of something. Instead of saying, okay, what can I fall in love with where the idea of retirement is, is like, okay, I... Why would I stop doing the thing that I love so much? And that's what we're trying to find. The idea of retirement is to be able to travel, do these things. Start doing it now. Yeah, yeah. That makes total sense. And you know what? As you were saying that, I was like, I was reading something that Richard Branson said a while back. And like, he's one guy who's like, I don't, I don't know exactly how old he is, but he's not talking about retirement um, because he loves what he's doing. Why, why, why would Richard Branson re- retire? Why would he quit? So because he's done. Yeah. I, you know, people. When you look, when we look at the people that are the the ones that we really look up to, those people are going to be done when they're dead. They're they're going to be. They're so engaged with their lives. The idea of retirement is for people that aren't really engaged with their lives. And people say, well, I just want to chill out. Yeah, you want to chill out. You watch. You got a clock. You're mm-hmm. gonna punch that clock. That clock is gonna punch you in the face and knock you out, and it's gonna put you in your grave. 
I mean, you really have to ask the question, what, why are you here? And if you're here to chill and play golf or sit on a beach, you're not going to be around very long. That's right. Well, I was reading something. Um, this isn't relative to the aging population and that with a few exceptions in terms of regions, the world's population is aging. And so more and more people beyond the age of 55 are going to want to continue working for a couple of different reasons. One is because they want to continue to work because they want to feel productive and active. And for some of them, it's the money part, right? They want to, they want to supplement their retirement, their income, right? And so they can't afford to quote unquote retire or quit. But then the other side of that equation, though, you know, you mentioned the origin of retirement, right? The industrial revolution and stuff, the industrial, industrial era. And it, uh, in those years, it was like, it's like we're up and going up in the escalator and as you get older, then you get off the escalator so that the younger people who are now getting into the workforce have space to move on, you know, and to move up the ladder. And it's kind of like that, right? We're kind of like moving up, out, moving up, out kind of thing. And so I guess the question is, if more and more people are remaining productive and working, uh, and then there's these younger generations <laughs> that's moving in and wanting to work. Doesn't that create this uh, intensive competition and scarcity that's going to ha- that's happening in the workforce? Well, here's the funny thing, and one of the things that I think is hysterical that there the lack is not of people that are willing to do things. The lack that we have is people with wisdom, and so the, the, you know there's there's no real competition for somebody that's 50, 60 years old that's been out there. Like I've been through cycles. I lost twenty million dollars in the real estate market. Most people that are teaching real estate haven't lost fifty bucks because they're, they're they they started five years ago and there's been no down market. So you know w- when you're looking for somebody that is going to teach you, do you want the person that has never stubbed their toe or do you want the person that's been through cycles that understands what's coming that can see into the future? For me, it's an easy answer. So. Is there competition with somebody that's 25 and excited? Not really. That person is is not competition to me. That person has no experience. Experience is is, is valuable, and and for to get off the the train, like you were talking about, getting off the escalator when you're when you're you're working through your your life, I, I think is is kind of crazy because you do have that wisdom, and that's what we're craving. We're starving for wisdom. There's plenty of information. There's plenty of people that can do freelancing and do and create tools and do social media. We don't need more of that. What we need is people that are deeply present, that are authentic, that have wisdom, that are willing to be with us in relationship, not somebody else that's going to hack an email list. I mean, that is the last thing that we need right now. (laughs) So true. So what about this concept of, and again, this is sort of related to this idea of, I am going to work my butt off uh, and then maybe I don't have a life because I'm working my butt off because I'm eyeing that dollar figure in the bank. And then when I reach that dollar figure, then I'm good to go, that I can have fun. Yeah, that, that, that's that's a, that's the biggest lie ever. I mean, it's I, I have had more people come to me over the years and they'll say, hey, Damien, I want I want help with my money. And, I, and I'll say, OK, well, what do you want help with? Like just because I don't have a sign saying, hey, come to me if you have money problems. But people will come and they'll say, I have a million dollars or two million dollars. This has happened repeatedly. And I say, what's the problem? They go, we don't know what to do. And I said, well, you Okay, what does that mean? They said, well, we, our money's sitting in the markets or, or whatever. We're afraid we're going to lose it, and we'd have no idea how to get it because it took us 35 years to get here, and it was sort of an, sort of an accident. That's the problem. People don't have the confidence. So when we think about financial freedom, it is not a pile of cash in the bank. And it, I have a friend that has made $100 million in cash, 
and spent every penny of it over the last 20 years. That $100 million for most people, it's like, whoa, that's the lottery. Yeah. But it's not financial freedom. They're literally in a, in a, in a, they're on a collision course towards poverty. And it's because they don't have the confidence in their ability. They basically had a one-off event when they were in their 20s. And all of a sudden, they had this unbelievable wealth. But it wasn't really wealth. It was just cash. Cash and cash flow are not wealth. Confidence is wealth and financial freedom. You have to build confidence by training. It's a muscle. It's you, you, like, you can't go to the gym and say, okay, I showed up at the gym, I looked around, I read a book on it, and now I have a six-pack. Like You got to train, and you build the muscle, the, the muscle memory and the confidence. And then if you get lazy and you build up a, a pot belly, then you can say, okay, I know how to get it. I did it before. I got it. I've got that confidence. That's what people are missing. And so all these tools and everything that we buy, all the seminars we go to, that's not going to get you financial freedom. What will get it for you is the confidence of having done it, which means you have to get off your butt and go do something. Mm-hmm. Which actually it's interesting because you mentioned uh, very quickly there a few minutes ago that you lost money in the real estate. And because, I mean, f- for a lot of people, that's like the most depressing thing. And how do I get out of this now? And how do I climb out of this hole? Would you mind sharing with us a little bit about what, what you did? To yeah, get absolutely. out of that, I, I, I'm imagining that the reason why that happened is because of the crash. Yeah, let, 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 me, let me share something that is really important for people to get, that the moment you take 100% responsibility and ownership of your life is the moment that you're truly going to step into freedom. The moment that it, for, as long as you have any type of blame or justification or being a victim to anything, I mean anything, and this is a really extreme case of, of ownership, there's, there's a shift that happens. Back then, I said, oh, 2008 happened, everybody lost money. And I wasn't, I wasn't really owning it. Yes, it did happen to everybody. The problem is my ego had built up a $20 million portfolio and it was all about the money. So the, I, I f- believe that the universe said, your life is not yours for a money collection activity. Your, your, your life is for something else. It's to serve humanity. And we need to give you a little slap in the face and reset you so that you get that. When the the crash happened, it was a gift to me because it brought me to my knees to where I could ask a a better question. Like, what am I doing here? Mm. Why am I here? Is it, is it for, is it so I can eat more expensive, you know, food? Is it have more cars, more Ferraris? Like, what is the deal? And it it was to understand that my purpose here is to teach and it's to teach from experience. It's to, to, it's to go out and stub my toes and have the wisdom of that experience to share with people. And I, and I learned that by going through it. So it was a gift. I was a little suicidal. I mean, I'll be really honest with you. It was hard because my net worth and self-worth were so tied together. When I lost 20 million bucks, I said, okay, you know what? I'm not worth anything. In fact, I'm worth negative $5 million. Well, if your entire life is the money and you're negative $5 million, you're basically worth nothing. Mm -hmm. So that's the dangerous part. I see a lot of people in that space now. And, And when we have the next correction, which we will, there's a lot of people that are going to go off a cliff and they're not going to know what to do. And they're going to think it was just, wow, this was like, they're not going to know it is a timing. It was the market the, the point is before that happens, start asking yourself a different question, a better question. Like, why am I doing this? How much money is enough? Why am I going? Why do I need this money? Why do I want this money? Because money is energy and you can create it in your mind or you can go and you can sweat in the fields and figure it out. There's different ways to create money, but you got to figure out if money is really why you're doing it or if there's something bigger. And if there's not something bigger, you're in a lot of trouble. Well, I know a lot of people who are 
I'm going to use the word stuck. So I know a lot of people who are stuck in uh, cushy jobs because of the golden handcuffs, right? Because yeah. it's making them the a shackles. lot of money. Right, exactly. Yeah. So how could they possibly, even though they hate every single day of it, uh, uh, how can they possibly walk away? Well, yeah, that, that's, that's a, it's, it's a, a problem. It's a first world problem. That we are stuck with this this job that's that we're choosing to be stuck in. We're putting the shackles on ourselves, and it's because we're we're a nation, especially in the United States, we're a nation of consumers. I mean, it's funny when you think about how we describe ourselves. When you when you remember the, the way the news describes us or politicians, they talk about the American consumer. That is crazy. We're being programmed into consuming, and what happens? We say, well, we got to be. What did George Bush say after nine eleven? Go out there and spend money. Well, okay, so that's what we're supposed to do as consumers, which means we need to have the high-paying job, which means we're sticking ourselves in this whole trap. It's a, it's a circular equation. So how do, you, how do you get out of that? Well, for one, you say this is not okay anymore. You make it intolerable to be in that thing. And it probably takes you saying, what do I really care about? Do I care about my nine bedrooms and my 14 bathrooms or whatever that is? Because you're servicing a life. That life has weight. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a great scene in a George Clooney movie where he talks about the weight of your life, putting, in, putting all that weight into a backpack. Ask yourself, how much does your life weigh? And it, when you realize it's like 60,000 pounds, you say, well, maybe that's a lot to carry around. And it is. It's called the shackles you put on yourself. That's the weight you're carrying. We're going to get back to that interview shortly. I just wanted to briefly mention that this podcast is made possible by Midlife Cues. Midlife Cues is a weekly digital publication for midlifers who are keen on making the most of their midlife. Every Sunday, we explore topics that help us live a joyful midlife. We talk about health and well-being. We talk about midlife mindset, one of the most important foundational things that we really need to master. We examine what growing bolder in our middle years mean for each of us individually. And we explore how we redefine success at work and in life. Give Midlife Cues a try by signing up for your free copy at midlifecues.com. Okie dokie, let's get back to the conversation. So you're saying, okay, imagine that I'm in that position right now. I have my cushy job, which earns me multi six-figure income, but I'm not really very happy. And where do I begin? What questions should I be asking myself other than, is this really what I want? Because it's hard when you're looking at your kids and you're looking at your wife who likes the house, who likes the five bedroom, and you're going to say, well, we can't afford this anymore. Like, where do we begin? What's the practical way of approaching it? Well, I mean, honestly, grow a pair for people that are in that space, you know, get, grow a pair and, and, and have a little courage. If you were, if, if, if I was to say, Hey, you know what? Test came back. You got a year to live. Are you going to go sit, sit there and spend a year doing that stupid thing? Or are you going to sit there and, and gain some courage? I mean, it, the, the point is you don't know how long you have. And, and you and I were talking about somebody that recently uh, passed. And sometimes we don't know how long we have. In fact, not sometimes, but we never know how long we have. It's, it's a question. Six weeks before my dad passed away, we had a conversation and he looked at me and he said, you know, there were just so many things that I wanted to do. And, and I said nothing because it broke me. It was, it was me. It was experiencing my father's regret. And it was, it was seeing somebody that couldn't change anything where the time was up. And for most of us, 
we probably have more than six weeks, but eventually we won't have more than six weeks. And so we're sitting there putting ourselves in a position where someday I'll do this and someday I'll do that. Okay, if you're going to live on the island of someday, your life is going to end with a train wreck called regret. That is the that is hell on earth. It, there's nothing worse than that. So there's the pain of discipline or there's, there's the pain of regret. The discipline is saying, all right, I'm making $300,000 a year or whatever it is, and I've got this big life. And really, what makes me happy? You see, there's there's these human needs that we're satisfying all the time. I talk about this in Reinvented Life. And one of the ones that we tend to focus on too much is, well, there's two. There's security and there's significance. We're feeding our ego and we're feeding our little our little fraidy butt, like you know, this little part of us that is afraid of whatever. So it's if we think more stuff, more money is gonna give us more security and then we'll be safe. As if there's a monster or a tiger in the woods that's gonna jump out and eat us. Like for some reason we think there were cavemen or something. That is not true. The question is, what can you really serve that has to do with the people and the experiences and the contribution in your life? That's what's going to feed your soul. But we miss that because we're focusing on the security and the significance. You've got to start asking the question, how do I feed the contribution? If you focus on that first and the people in your life, all of a sudden, all that stuff becomes really, really insignificant. Mm-hmm. Now, you said something earlier. Else earlier, you said this is not the woo woo, follow your passion and money will come or it'll, they'll come. It's not that. But then at the same time, a lot of people are saying, well, I want, this is not what I want, but what I want, I can't make money out of what I want. So the question is, it's, so the question there is always, is anybody making money? Is anybody creating value? So what money is, is energy and its value. And if, and if, if the, the, the thought crosses your mind, well, I love doing X. And I don't know how to make money doing X. The question is, is anybody in the entire world making money? Is anybody having the market respond to them doing what you're talking about doing? Like, I love martial arts. Are there people that have created vast fortunes with martial arts? Absolutely. I mean, you know, Jackie Chan is worth like $300 million. I mean, there are people, there are samples. So then the question is, what price do I have to pay to model that whole experience? And for most of us, the, the answer is I'm not willing to pay the price. Like I am not willing to pay the price that Arnold Schwarzenegger paid to become Mr. Universe or Mr. Olympia. I'm not going to spend 10 hours a day for 10 years in the gym. I'm just not willing to pay the price. So if you're willing to pay the price, you can have that thing. But most of us have to be honest and just be and answer that question. Am I willing to pay the price? The answer is no. So focus on something you are willing to pay the price to get to. That is awesome, Framie. Thank you for that. That's a gift. Thank you for that. You sound like a guy, a person who's got no fear. And so I wanted to dig deeper into that, like, or at least a guy who doesn't allow their fears to control, you know, them or stop yourself from doing something. So I just wanted to dig deeper into that. Is that, have you never ever felt like, or if you have, how did you overcome it? I was just reading Brian Tracy's book, Thinking for a Change. I, I first read this like 15 years ago. And in the very beginning of it, he he talks about doing the thing that you fear until you don't fear it anymore. And I was laughing because when I first read this book, it was the first time I did a major speaking engagement in front of hundreds and hundreds of people. And I remember going, I, I had to pee like six times, thirty the, the 30 minutes before this thing. I, I was like, how many times can one guy go to the bathroom? <laughs> I did. And it was, I was so nervous. And I went up there and, and I was trying to be funny and I was shaking and I was sweating and my shirt was ringing. You know, it was, it was terrible. I think about it now. And when I speak, I have so much fun. 
I, I think, am I, am I scared of this? No, I can't wait to get out there because I'm on fire with this mission to share. And that is, it, it's a shift because I've gone into that place that I feared and I've come to it both repetitively, but also with a different, a different energy. Like my, my grounding is different. I'm not just flopping around like a fish out of water and trying to you know stabilize. I'm coming up there very, very grounded because of the mission that's driving me. And it changes that those fears are, are probably a problem based on not having something that's driving us, that's giving us that energy to conquer the fear. Without a mission, it's easy to be afraid of every little thing. With a mission, nothing can get in your way. You're, you become the, the tip of the spear has this energy behind it that can drive through anything. Hmm. Well, I don't know. I Okay, so I'm going to use myself as an example here for a second. I say to people nowadays that this podcast is one of the things that I've done that I'm most proud of. Why? Because for friggin' two years, I was, I've been wanting to do a podcast and I wouldn't do a podcast because I'm scared. I'm scared of what I'm going to sound like behind the mic. I'm scared of what people are going to think because of my accent, because of how I look, because of all these things. I was afraid that I was going to ask people to come to the show and no one would come would want to come to the show and all these kinds of things. But I knew what I wanted to do. So there wasn't, it's not that I didn't have a purpose. I had a purpose. It's just that the fears were louder for two years. <laughs> yeah. Those fears drive us. Those, you, there's two fears that drive everything. The fear of failure and the fear of rejection. And, and you talked about, you just, you just hit both of those. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and so the fear of failure, holy crap, you know how you, you know how you succeed? You know how, how you have fulfillment? You fail faster. And, and that's, that's, if we just get that, but we're so brain damaged and brainwashed into believing that if we fail, like our academic system, if we get 50% wrong, we're a failure. Are you kidding me? If you get 50% wrong in the real world, you get 50% right, you're a billionaire. And, and this idea of judgment, nobody cares. They're so wound up in their own BS. They don't, they're not paying attention to you. They might look at you for five seconds, but they're thinking about themselves. They're not thinking about you. People are self-absorbed. And yet we think, oh boy, they're going to be judging me. And they're not even thinking about you. Exactly. That's so true. And also the thing that you said earlier about we are, we are not, encur- encur- I don't know if encourage is a word, but the world out there is not very nice for people. People when they when we fail. I mean, like for example, in corporate America, if you mess up, oh my goodness, you know. So for example, if you tell someone in who's been working in corporate America and nothing nowhere else to fail fast, the person's probably gonna roll their eyes and gonna go, "I'm gonna get fired." Totally, you're right. You're absolutely right. That is that is that is one of the places where if you make mistakes, in many cases, although there there are some cultures that will look at you differently. And I, I don't know if this was GE or where it was, but I remember that the story, you may have heard this, where the person screws up and it may have been Lee Iacocca, I don't know what it was. The, it was like a $5 million mistake. And, and this, this guy thought, I am totally going to get fired. And, and then got called into the CEO's office. CEO said, do you know why you're here? And, and he said, yeah, I, I screwed up. We lost 5 million. Uh, you're going to fire me. He said, why would I fire you? I just invested $5 million in you. And it's that there are certain cultures in certain companies and firms where it's actually valued to go make mistakes. Like Google is one of those where they value that. If you're in a place where they don't value mistakes, honestly, look for a new place because you're going to be stunted and you're going to be stuck the rest of your life as long as you're there. And the truth is somebody is trying to disrupt you and you have to disrupt yourself with mistakes. 
mistakes or you're going to be you're going to be run over by somebody in their garage anyway if your company is one where they encourage you not to make mistakes like governments governments everybody's trying to protect their jobs it's like the ultimate bureaucracy it's the ultimate corporate you know crazy machine the the problem is everybody out there around the world is figuring out ways to be better faster more efficient than you are and your company so you better disrupt yourself you better be thinking about that because somebody's going to do it to you if you don't do it to yourself. So just think about that. If you're sticking in that thing because of security and you, and you go, I can't make a mistake, eventually you're going to get run over. Eventually you're not going to have a job anyway. So you may as well do it to yourself and at least choose your timeline. So you said something there that so many of us have heard, have read, fail faster, right? Fail faster. Could you talk a little bit about how do we approach that or what, what should what should we get out of the failing? Yeah, the, I mean, the, the very first thing with failing is, so John Maxwell wrote a great book about this, uh, Failing Forward. There, the idea is that failing is a verb. It is not a noun. We have adapted and adopted this idea that failing means that we're a failure. And, and instead of saying failing is the process of growth, one of our basic human needs is growth. And if we don't have that, we're basically dying because there's nothing flat. You can't just cruise. Like cruise control in the universe does not work at all, ever. Either things are expanding or contracting, including human beings. So failing is the process of growing. So either you're dying or you're growing. And, and that is that is the secret. I mean, it's Tom Watson said it at IBM. He said, the, you want to you succeed more faster? Double your rate of failure. It's the process of growing faster. So that's, that's how you have to think about it and go, okay, you know what? I'm going to learn something. I promise there is no tiger in the woods that is going to eat you when you make mistakes. Mm -hmm. Mistakes is how you grow. Yeah. And I think, you know, at the moment of, at the moment of fail, when, when that thing, whatever it was that you were doing fails or doesn't give you the results that you wanted, I guess I suppose instead of feeling miserable or upset about it is to try to figure out what, what did I learn, if anything, or what did I test here that gave me some additional clarity for my next steps, I suppose. So it's not just feeling sorry. No, it's, and, and you don't, you don't get what you want. You get what you need and you get what you deserve. And a lot of times what you deserve is an opportunity to learn something. And so in, instead of arguing, people say, well, you know, it should have been this or it should have been that. And then they should all over themselves. And, and the, the truth is you really have to embrace the truth. It's called objective reality. What is really here? What is true? Instead of saying, well, I'm going to have subjective reality and I'll just make it up and it'll be whatever I want it to be. Great. Okay. You're a looney tune. That's psychotic. If you actually embrace objective reality, you can take what it is and then you can use that as, as a new foundation and continue to stair step up into a different energy level, a different playing field. But if you're going to argue with reality, if you're going to say, <laughs> well, this is what I want. The universe doesn't care what you want. The universe right. is going to give you what you need. Right. Now, I am sure that the people who are listening are having as much fun as I am right now that I don't even want to end this conversation. But, you know, so for the people who are listening, wanted to know, wanted to learn more about you and, you know, your where where can we find you? Where can we read up about you? Where can we follow your stuff? Here's the thing. You're, you're, you're listening to this right now. Right now, because there's a piece of you that wants to reinvent something in your life. I guarantee that's why you're still hanging out with us right now. And it, it, I wrote a book called Reinvented Life. There's a workbook. It's the Reinvented Life workbook that you can download. It's, it's, it's a free download. And basically what it is on DamianLupo.com on my site, it gives you all the questions. Because here's the thing. You've got the answers inside you. 
nobody's asked you the right questions yet to get those answers out of you. Like, I don't know what the answers are for you, but you do. And so if you download that, that workbook, you're going to, you're going to have a whole bunch of questions that are going to help you stir things up and and you're going to be able to figure out what those answers are to help you transition or reinvent or shift or whatever it is that you, you need, because I believe that you have everything you need inside. If somebody will just help you tap into it. So that's what I would suggest that, that everybody does if you're listening, it's because you want to reinvent something. I mean, that's the kind of why we're here. And and so use that tool. That's why Chris and I wrote it. That's why we created it, was to give you that power, which is sitting inside of you. Cool beans. Well, Damien, thank you so much. This is fantastic. I truly, truly enjoyed this conversation. You got to have to come back. We have to I love talk it. about the other stuff that we didn't get a ton, you know, chance to talk about. Oh, there's, there's, all, there's more. There's definitely more. Yeah. I'd love to come back. I hope you enjoyed this episode from The Vault. For all the links and highlights of this episode, please head on over to secondbreaks.com. As a reminder, we are on a weekly schedule during the month of May while we continue to cover the topic of unretirement. And so be sure to check back next week for another special episode in our series. Until then, keep on making your den, my friend. Cool beans.